Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh46. And the listener tweet featured on the TEH homepage this week is from at 48kram. Listener we tweet. Your tweet. Your tweet. Yeah. <laughs> this week we have all four regular hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet. And I'm the Randy behind the meme site, randysrandom.com. Who's I'm next? Kevin Savitz. I'll be next. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am creator of freeprintable.net and uh, factzero.com. I'm the Kevin behind sending faxes or something. Still, still working on that tagline. Yeah. Keep working on it. <laughs> I think uh, Leo's next. Oh, I thought Gary was next. Damn it. No. Um, <laughs> okay, start over. So start the podcast over. We've ruined it. Ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm not doing it now. Forget it. Oh, oh, no. Somebody might have to edit. Hey, I'm Leo Notenboom, the Leo behind AskLeo.com. I got my tagline straight when I finally know I have to say it. Uh, lover of corgis, coffee, and computers, though not necessarily in that order. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I'm the host and producer of the video podcast tutorials at MacMost.com for Apple users. And I also make lots of mobile games. You could find those at CleverMedia.com. And you're the Mac behind MacMost. I'm the Gary behind, yeah, I don't know. He's the most <laughs> behind like MacMost. I'm the host, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hostess of the MacMostest. <laughs> <laughs> so what's everybody been up to this week? Yeah. Well, this week I saw Last Man, and I thought it was pretty good. So remind us what that one's about. That's the Neil Armstrong story. So he was the first man and... And I don't know why they call it, or maybe it's called First Man, not Last Man. <laughs> first man. Yeah, it's called First Man. I was wondering. It didn't. It rang a bell, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, let me let me change that in the show notes. <laughs> Start the first podcast man. over. We've ruined it again. <laughs> I know we have. We really have, especially me. But yeah. uh, I what thought, you know, especially the sequence when they were on the moon. Uh, they shot that in IMAX film, and it was just incredible. I mean, it was like being there. Well, they had origi- They had access to the original tapes of the original soundstage, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. The, the moon landing was faked. It was done on a soundstage, but, you know, those guys were perfectionists, and they insisted that they do it on location. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, cool. How about I saw you, Kevin? Some- I'm oh, looking sorry, forward to ahead. seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing that first man. Um, but I haven't managed yet because I had such a busy weekend. Busy. What were you doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a friend come out fr- from uh, Texas, and he wanted to uh, see some things out here. So uh, I went up to Seattle. We went to the Living Computer Museum and Labs in uh, Seattle, Washington, uh, which is a great world class uh, computer museum. It's kind of a weird time to be there uh, because Paul Allen died last week. Um, so, you know, it, that museum is was created and funded by him. And so everyone there was a little sad. <laughs> so they all knew him. And one of the, the tour guides told me that, uh, you know, he had just, uh, he's like, Mr. Allen was just here a couple of weeks ago. And I'm just like, oh, you know, was he like here for meetings? He's like, no, he just like showed up and, you know, he shows up and, 
looks around and asks questions and, you know, <laughs> just like, he just likes, like showing up at his museum and just, you know, hanging out and playing like Wozniak going and lying at the iPhone store. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, playing with his computers. So, um, so that was neat. And uh, uh, we got a behind the scenes tour uh, and got to see all the, the neat stuff in, in the basement. That's not really on display yet. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and one of the other friends who was there uh, works at Microsoft in Seattle. So we um, traversed across town and I got to see the Microsoft visitor center and uh, which was kind of neat. There's a, you know, big Microsoft store and there's uh, all sorts of computers set out, you know, Xboxes and, and things running uh, various software and, and uh, there's this tiny museum there where you can um, of like the original, uh, there's like a TRS-80 with, with some Microsoft stuff. There's the uh, original, a printout of the original version of uh, Microsoft basic for the Altair, which um, uh, uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen wrote while they were at some university. I should know this. Uh, they wrote it when they were at at, at school. Um, and well, then, Harvard. They went to Harvard, right? Uh, Harvard. Okay. Yeah. So they're at Harvard, and so the apparently the, uh, uh, the 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 original source code, like they didn't have an original printout of the original source code, um, and it was found behind a file cabinet in the computer center at Harvard, like years later. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah. So now that's on on display there. So that was kind of cool, and. Uh, played some video games and, and uh, saw that they have some really cool, not in the visitor center, but kind of off a quarter mile away. They have some uh, tree houses um, that are conference rooms. So you can take the, the ramp or the elevator up into the tree house. And um, there's just these beautiful outdoorsy indoors tree house conference rooms. And uh, it was pretty amazing to, to see that. So it was neat to see the campus and uh, do that. Um, and then we trucked back to Portland and spent uh, Saturday and Sunday at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which is a big show of uh, people who like uh, old video games and old computer games. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like something right up your alley. Yeah, right up my alley and right in my backyard. Yep. Practically. Yep. Not literally, although that would be fun too. Um, yeah. It's it's been a while since I've been to the Microsoft Visitor Center, but uh, yes, you were on the on the main campus that they're in fact preparing to uh, to tear down some of the original buildings that were built there back in 1986 and replace them with uh, even bigger ones. Mm-hmm. So that's happening over the course of the next couple of years. But yep, that's where I commuted to for many years. Yeah. Uh, last week for me, you know, it's basically the same old, same old answering questions and playing with corgis. Uh, it's, uh, we had one day where we, uh, we took off to go visit our dog's breeder um, because she has you know, maybe one, two litters a year at most. I mean, she's not in it for the money. She's not a, you know, what you would consider a backyard breeder. But when she does have them, it's kind of special, and we go over there to get our puppy fix. So we, uh, we went over Did there. Is the puppy fixed? Is it broken? <laughs> We go over they there can't and, anymore. and get to see, get to sit on the ground and <laughs> the anti-breeder get covered in dogs and just have Let's a take good time. the competition down to a minimum. There you go. Anyway, I've got a, uh, a link to some uh, some pictures I took and they're up on my Flickr photo album. So uh, that that link will be in the show notes. Gary, what about you? 
Well, uh, I've been working hard all week. I promised last week that I would uh, mention my new project. And, you know, I haven't really launched it yet, but what the hell? I'll mention it here so you guys can check it out. Um, so basically, for those of you that check out Mac Most, you know, I, I do video tutorials and I put up tips and I, you know, answer questions and all that. So I'm launching another site where I'm basically going to do the same thing, but with a completely different topic. And that topic is WordPress. Um, I've uh, been using WordPress since almost the beginning of WordPress, and uh, so I'm kind of a little bit of an expert at it. And I love working with WordPress, so decided to turn it into a site and maybe even do some courses on it as well. So anyway, the site, which like nobody has been to, like, like as I'm talking about there on the podcast, like I'm the only one who's actually seen it. <laughs> it's uh, WPTipsAndHacks.com, and just getting started. So First one there. Six things. Wait on it and uh and yeah i haven't even and you know set up the forum yet for people to ask questions and stuff so it's really just the early days trying to post a new tip and hack every week uh there's a lot of you know a lot of wordpress sites out there but nothing quite like the whole mac most thing where it's just every day there's some new bit of information um you know other sites kind of like put a bunch of stuff up there and then it's static for years or they like post one long, huge rambling tutorial once a month or something like that. So I hope I've got a different take on it that people that use WordPress uh, like. Um, not going to be expert level. Like I'm not going to teach you how to build plugins, but I'm going to teach you how to like go into the functions.php file and things like that and mess around with stuff. Um, and tips like, you know, just basic stuff for, you know, normal WordPress users that don't code at all. So anyway, <clears throat> my new project and, uh, you know, the idea being that I run it kind of at the same at the same thing that work you know Mac Most is, and just uh, new content every day, and see where that goes. Cool, and I noticed it's already secure. Yay! Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm trying to set set up right. Of course, I can't um, I can't uh, set it up as a WordPress site and not make it decent. The funny thing is, is the uh, theme itself. I had planned to use a like one of the most popular, cool themes out there to show. You know how, like, you know, this is what a lot of people are using now. And I tried that, and I hated it. And actually, a lot of red flags with using some of those high-end themes. Um, so I backed off. I know this is a theme. really clean theme. What is it? It is <laughs> 2017, but oh. I, cust I customized it. So 2017, of course, for those of you who don't know, is the default theme. It's just the theme you get if you don't even bother with themes. But I customized it just a bit really it was just maybe a dozen changes to make it look like that um and uh to create my own um and the great thing about using the default theme is is there's not a lot of problems like a lot of those other themes and i try a lot they've got some serious issues yeah what were some of your your issues and problems with the popular themes well like one was is the the one i was i was trying to use one called divi um and it has its own builder in it where you can build really cool pages. But once you do that, you're stuck. Like those pages will only work if you're in, using the Divi theme. It's a commitment. Yeah. It, it is a big commitment. And on top of that, I found certain basic things like just the basic embedded YouTube video didn't work right. Like there was a lot of extra space around it and I'd have to go in and actually alter the theme to actually get it to look correct. Um, stuff like that. I really, and then the, I saw the number of updates to Divi 2, and I was like, boy, I'd have to keep this thing updated all the time. There were all sorts of uh, 
maintenance concerns with it. I was like, this is not going to be worth it. I'm not, I'm not going to use their Divi builder. I just want to use a nice looking theme. So I ditched it and looked around at some others, found out a lot of others have the same issues. Um, and I said, you know, I want, I want a theme that's just going to be nice and clean and work and not have any of these issues. And I ended up going all the way back to 2017, the default, customizing it to get it to look like I wanted to. And, and that's where it's at. So I'll probably end up drawing on that experience a lot as I post tips and hacks over the next Yeah, year. I looked at Divi also and, and kind of rejected it for the same reason. I used to be on uh, Canvas, which uh, WordPress bought, mm-hmm. and then shut it down because it wasn't going to be compatible with Gutenberg. Right, with the So 5.0. I found the one I found that I like that replaces it is Generate Press. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, for $39, you can get the expansion pack that you can use on as many sites as you want. Uh, you know, that's worth it. So. Yeah, I looked, at, I looked at the, uh, Generate Press too. So it's, it was kind of interesting. And I looked yeah. at some of the ones at Theme Forest and other places. So, you know, the great thing is, is I'm learning a lot as I do that because it's a huge topic. And even though I use WordPress every day because MacMost is built on it for one thing, um, there's areas like, you know, some of these nicely designed one-page websites that use WordPress that I don't, I don't experience. So looking into things like all these themes – uh, just broadens my knowledge about it. It is one yeah, of the more. If you want to see Generate Press, just go to tehpodcast.com. There go you ahead. go. Yeah. Go ahead, Leo. Um, well, I was going to say that that choosing a theme, I think for most people that uh, that are advanced enough not to want to just stick with the default one um, and not tweak it the way that you have, or maybe want to do something that it isn't capable of, um, choosing a theme is a really, really hard thing. You have a certain look in mind. You have certain features in mind. And it's really, really hard to, uh, uh, to come up with you know, just one theme, much less find them all because they're scattered all over the Internet. Um, just find them all that do what you want. In my case, I went all in uh, with uh, Studio Press. And uh, I have um, uh, the, uh, the, their Genesis framework underneath all of my sites. And then I have what are called child themes across different ones. And even those, um, I've just settled on a couple. I mentioned to you guys um, last week in person that um, the one that's got my attention lately because I've done a, got a very nice site up and running for one of my nonprofits is um, my MAI. And uh, it's, it, it worried me and that it reminded me a lot of Divi in some ways because uh, Divi to me was way more comp- way more complexity than I wanted to deal with and certainly more complexity than I wanted to say hand over to somebody else uh, to take on the maintenance of after the site was working. But um, my seems to have the, you know, a, good, a good blend between features and functionality, uh, you know, getting the look and feel we want versus uh, complexity. So that's where I landed. And Ask, Ask Leo itself, which is also a WordPress site, is um, based on a custom child theme uh, that's built on um, Genesis that uh, is specifically and only for Ask Leo. Cool. Yeah, I may, I may in the future find that I want to spend like a week on a theme like Genesis or Generate Press or Divi or whatever, you know, installed on a demo site and do, you know, five different tutorials and episodes and reviews of that theme. And, uh, We'll see. There's so many directions I can take it in. Yes, there are. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be at the beginning of a new project and, uh, you know, just starting on this. So, 
Cool. Very cool. I look forward to your stuff. Yeah. In fact, I, I fully expect you'll end up touching on things that, um, uh, you know, we will all, all of us having used WordPress, will learn from along the way. Because as you say, it's so massive. It's very easy to be focused on the things we do and not even touch some of the areas that might still help. Right. Exactly. And I, and I do want to focus on like the hacks, the little things that you could do uh, that aren't, you know, full development projects. It helps that I'm a pretty experienced PHP programmer too, which is what, you know, WordPress is built on. So. Right. Right. Well, that's one of the ways that one of the reasons that I'm so comfortable with um, uh, Genesis as a framework, because, you know, now, you know, with PHP under my belt, I can make it do pretty much whatever I want. So, yep. Very cool. So, Gary, you, since you're already up, why don't you yeah. tell us about those crazy Swedes? <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was on the top of a bunch of my news feeds today. It's an NPR story about, um, you know, the, uh, a Swedish company putting microchips under people's skin, you know, in, basically embedding it in their thumb. Um, it's a tiny little microchip, and you can use it for a variety of different things, like, say, unlocking your your door to your apartment building or, uh, you know, as an ID to get, you know, get a ticket or something like that. Um, basically, you know, think of it as like a fob or, a, you know, just a kind of a wallet thing on a phone, you know, but the difference being that you're actually getting a tiny microchip embedded in your body, in your hand. Uh, and of course the, uh, article mainly talks about privacy concerns, uh, over this. It's it's really it's an interesting topic because you know there's so so much science fiction has this as being something that exists in our future you know having something like this embedded in our bodies for identification purposes, um, and you know there's places like you know they talk about how in Sweden this seems to be natural that you know people would like this but I can imagine there being huge resistance to this in the United States. Uh, where people tend to be a lot more paranoid about these kinds of things and possibly rightly paranoid <laughs> about these kinds of things. Um, for me, you know, I, I think of the whole idea of a universal ID and my own personal desire not to carry so much stuff with me, you know, having to carry two credit cards, a driver's license, a health insurance card, and then some maybe some cash and a phone and, you know, a key for my car, key for the house maybe. Um, and trying to get rid of that stuff and have it be like just one thing. And, you know, this is one way of doing it is saying, oh, you know, have this little chip. Other initiatives are moving towards having it all on the phone, right? Now, I could already do Apple Pay for lots of things. Um, there's an initiative for digital IDs. So uh, we may in the future have our driver's license on the phone. I can already unlock my house with a code, but I can possibly in the future do that with my phone and then possibly my car with a phone as well. We've talked about that. So I could get down to the point where it's just my phone. That's all I need to carry with me. But this goes a step further. It says you don't have to carry anything with you because the one digital device is actually embedded in your body. Now, what happens when this is abused? Like, for instance, somebody clones your little chip. So they somehow get the data from it, make a clone of it, and now can use it to basically take over your life um, because devices think that they are you. Um, or what happens if something goes wrong, like something in the system goes wrong and now you're not properly identified and suddenly you can't get into your house, your car, or work, or 
you know, use the tickets or payment systems you want to use. Um, and I always wonder like if somebody's going to cut off your hand so they can, you know, yeah. drain your bank account or something. Could, could be. I mean, but, you know, and then you think, okay, so, like, I thought about that. Like, it gets to the point where, you know, somebody does try to cut your thumb off, say, or just at least cut the chip out of your thumb, right, to get to your stuff. But how is that different now than somebody stealing your, your phone? Oh, I know this. You still yeah. have a thumb. <laughs> you still have a thumb, yeah. No, but the idea is that the, the, there's physical damage. You could replace the phone. <laughs> right. Well, but it's easier to steal the phone is the idea, right? So stealing your phone is easy and probably a much lower crime than actually like using a knife against yeah, you. Yeah, but, right? but my phone is locked and I can remotely uh, uh, yeah. also. Well, maybe – sure if I can remotely wipe my thumb – what if the chip could be – I don't think these chips do anything biometrically, but it would be interesting if in the future there was one that if you actually removed it from your body, it ceased to work. Like it could, it could do that basically just by not being part of anybody for a few seconds. You know? So in other words, there's no way to get it out of you and into somebody else in time. It would deactivate. Or it could be tied to your something in your body and put in somebody else or put into a, just a, a you know, plastic case. It no longer works. It's got to be like it's tied into your, I don't know, pulse rate or biorhythms. Remember biorhythms in the 70s or 80s? Remember yep. that? Yeah. I don't know. If there's some sort of thing like that where they can identify you and this thing knows whether or not it's inside you or not inside you. I don't know. It could be interesting. I, I do want to see us have, have the ability to carry less stuff around. Um, but I don't know if embedding something is going to be the... So it actually reminds me, and I, I'll, I'll have to research the link for this so that we can include it in the show notes, but there was an announcement this week of a company that was making a tiny phone, which is basically a, um, a smartphone. It looks like, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe a third the size of your iPhone, of a standard iPhone. Um, so the, the goal there was to see how small they could get and still be functional. Um, if I'm going to carry only one thing, it seems like um, going small with a phone like that might be one of the uh, one of the alternatives to actually sticking technology under your skin. But isn't that just an Apple Watch? Doesn't an Apple Watch require you have a phone with you? Nope, not the new ones that have uh, where you can get the um, uh, you know the connection to your mobile service directly. You know, it's a, there's a, yeah. there's the there's the one that does require the connection. You know, it's basically Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all that. And then there's the one that actually you've got the connection to your mobile service. So, you know, you could that one sounds a lot like a tiny phone. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. So that could be the one thing you have to have. You have to have your watch with you, and that could be everything. Right, and they already like the thing we talked about uh, two weeks, three weeks ago, or something about the college campuses. Or maybe we didn't talk about it, but there's college campuses that are using Apple Watch um, for student IDs. Uh, well, it's actually iPhone or Apple Watch for student IDs. Mm-hmm. It's like a 10 university test or something. Um, right. Yeah. So, so there's and that. I've also heard of hotels using it so that you you know you install the hotels app, and when you check in, your phone becomes your key. Yeah. Well, that definitely. That's exactly the type of thing I'd like to see happen. Is, is I'd love to see that. Absolutely. I'm yeah. always losing my, 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 those little credit card keys. Mm-hmm. Um, they always ask me if I want one or two, and I always say two because I'm going to lose one. Um, and, uh, but I never, you know, I don't lose my phone. Yeah, and the, and right. the more advanced uh, 
Airbnb owners too also have their digital locks and you actually get the use your phone with the Airbnb app to unlock your Airbnb when you okay. arrive. And it's cool because yeah, because you're only there for certain dates, so it's only going to work while you're there. You know, then I don't have to worry about you. You know, I mean, I, every Airbnb I've ever stayed at, I've usually gotten a physical key. And it's like, what's to prevent me from actually going and make going to a you know a, a place in hardware store? Yeah, locksmith. Store. I think is the word you're looking locksmith. for. <laughs> I was looking for yeah, locksmith, like blacksmith, right? You know, old technology. They going to hammer out a new key for me, and. Uh, yeah, and then knowing that that Airbnb might be empty a lot of the time, <laughs> just kind of let myself in. Uh, but oh, this yeah. is funny. So I just while we're talking, I looked up the uh, yeah. So did I. It's a Palm. It's Palm. Yeah. Remember Palm? What? Palm Pilots. So the yeah I yeah they're coming back with a tiny phone. Well, it's got to be just the trade the name the trademark got passed along to somebody, right? I don't think it's. Oh, I'm oh, sure, because yeah. yeah, but still, that's that's the new Palm is a tiny phone to keep you away from your phone. So it's cl- it's tiny, it's clever, and exclusive to Verizon. So there you go. I like the idea. Does it have a screen, or is it screenless? Yeah. It is really tiny. I I like the idea it's, of it's having the pictures, a, uh, a screen, like you know, uh, just something you just talk to. It just has a voice assistant. And no screen at all, and that would think of that how that would cut down battery, and um, you know, oh, it would make it so simple, and you can make it so tiny then. Well, Popular Mechanics says Palm's tiny phone is the most interesting and dumbest thing to happen <laughs> to phones, <laughs> and it's you know it's palm size. It's not like you know an inch tall or anything like that. It does have a screen. Yeah. Must be a great deal for Verizon business-wise, like to be the exclusive provider of of uh, bandwidth for a tiny phone that's not going to use much bandwidth. No, like yeah, yeah sure, we'll charge twenty dollars a month for this this gadget that is going to be not used for a lot, and and uh, you know when it is, people just aren't going to bother trying on a tiny gadget. So it's funny. Price. It's I'm looking at a picture of the screen right now. And it's got icons on it. It's got uh, 11 icons. And it's like four, three, and four. So they squished them all together so that the three kind of move in between the four. It's very bizarre. It's a strange layout. They're clearly trying to to squeeze things onto the screen. But it's a very classic Android-looking type of layout, too. Lots of Google icons, the familiar buttons down at the bottom for back and and, uh, home and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting little device. We'll see exactly how dumb it may or may not be. My yeah. So do you think it runs Android? Yes. That's a shame. <laughs> do you think they? <laughs> well, no. I mean, I'm just trying to think. One of the advantages of having something small with a tiny screen might be you could get insane battery life, right? You know, if you if they could also say, hey, it's seven day battery life. Uh, you know, because it just doesn't do that much, then. You know, but if it's running Android, I doubt they're going to be able to get that, right? It's not designed for that. Well, you know, they're, they are getting better. And the one thing I can tell you is that certainly every time I look at the battery usage on my phone, which is a, a, a Pixel XL, um, it's the screen that takes up like a quarter of the battery usage at least, right? It's, it's just keeping the thing turned on that sucks the battery. So 
I agree with you. Smaller screen or no screen at all should dramatically reduce the battery usage. But on the other hand, you know, the smaller the phone, the smaller the battery that can fit in that phone. True, true enough. The funny thing about the picture that you're describing, Leo, is it shows the battery level on this phone at 27%. <laughs> Photoshop that, guys. Come on. <laughs> or at least charge it up before you take the pictures. Come on. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. It did. It was, but it was only a 20 minute photo <laughs> shoot session. <laughs> I do like that it's got, you know, 12 megapixel camera on it. So you still have a decent camera, but it's tiny. Might be worth getting for just, just the camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's too expensive. Yeah. I still have an old, uh, one of the old iPod nanos, the last iPad nano that had a camera in it. And it's a little camera that does video, standard def video, but it's so small. And it's like I've never seen such a small light. It like weighs like a few ounces and such a handy thing. to You could do like hours and hours and hours worth of video on this thing. Um, That's 640 by 480 resolution. Yeah, 640, 480. But, you know, it's like it's, uh, you know, it's something like six ounces, <laughs> you know, it's the entire device with yeah, battery life. That's like 24 hour battery life. For, you, know, you could literally record all, you know, take up all the memory with it and still have battery power left. Or at least you could, I mean, it's been sitting in a drawer for so long. The battery's probably shot, but, but yeah, mini devices. I like it. Well, all the devices are getting larger, right? I mean, that's the whole yeah. Apple. It, it, well, everything gets life. bigger and everything gets smaller. Right. Yeah. So Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Speaking of bigger and phones. <laughs> so Randy, you found this one um, about a new system to deal with robocalls. Yeah. So we, we all, we've talked about robocalls before. We all get them, you know, spoofed with our local numbers. So it looks like it's somebody that you might know calling, but it's not. It's bad guys. And the San Jose Mercury News notes that in August, there were 100 and just to Americans, there were 100 and almost 50 million intrusive automated messages per day. You know, it's just a crazy number of bothersome calls. And this article talks about why the phone companies can't really do much about it because they're they're switching calls that are coming from somewhere else and they got to route them along their way. And there's no secure way of saying, is this caller ID that's attached to this call accurate? So this new system is called stir slash shaken. So it's very James Bond, they say. Stands for Secure Telephony Identity Revisited and Secure Handling of Asserted Information Using Tokens. That's an exhausting acronym. I know, it's horrible. But the bottom line is... There, you know, several telephone companies have gotten together to share the expense of putting in a new system that will fight this problem so that they can look and see if, is this probably a legitimate call or is this probably a robocall, you know, a, a scam type thing. And they're spending $100 million, which sounds like a lot, but for them is probably, you know, pocket change. So the, the bottom line is something's coming to try to fix this problem because 90% of, of, of all phone calls seem to be kind of like email spam. So 
One of the things that is starting to become clear to me is that it's time to stop treating the mobile phone, the mobile telephony and landline telephony as two completely separate systems. I know that they are, but the, you know, I get as many of these kinds of calls on my landline as I do on my mobile. And it seems like this kind of technology could really um, help both. Uh, Except I understand that, you know, landline has a, has a much, much deeper, um, investment in even much older technology. Um, but we keep treating them separately. And I'm just wondering if there's a way where we can start to, uh, to bring these two worlds together. Cause yes. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you. I know I still have a landline and there's several different reasons for that. Most people actually still have a landline. Um, I know that it's, it's actually, I don't think that's true, but go ahead. I, I, well, okay. <laughs> Most people in my audience certainly have a landline. Um, you know, the, the folks that are, uh, I'll just say, above a certain age um, are, you know, still having uh, their landlines. I realize that, you know, that we may be shifting away from that. But anyway, I just, I just find it interesting that these kinds of improvements are happening on the mobile side only, leaving the landline users to, uh, to kind of twist in the wind. Yeah, and I work with... Uh local 911 authorities and it's been several years now that the majority of 911 calls come from cell phones so it's presenting some problems because when you call from a landline they pretty much know where that landline terminates they know your address so if you call 911 from a cell phone even from home you know they they not necessarily get your exact address so that's why they typically ask first thing where is your emergency they right. want to get that out of you quickly and to get that out of the way so that they know who to dispatch to where so you know they're getting better at automatic uh, location of where the device is when you call thanks to you know ubiquitous gps chips but you know if you get a metal roof and you're on the first story of a four-story building or something it may not pick up the GPS signal. Right. What I find interesting about, uh, what, is it, what is it, stirred, shaken? or oh, stir, shaken, which they're apparently just calling shaken, um, is that it is based on digital certificates, uh, encryption. So apparently yeah. the information about the call will get encrypted at its origin and will presumably travel securely from phone company to phone company until the last phone company in the chain, the one who's actually ringing your phone, um, can decrypt it, take a look at it, and take action. And apparently there's also going to be a rating system, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. I'm wondering how that's going to play out. Mm. Yeah, this phone up has three stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that's, and that's kind of what it sounds like. I'm yeah. just not sure where they're getting the ratings from. I mean, it's well, not it, like... It, it comes down to some you know certain factors, like does this number originate lots and lots of calls that aren't answered? That's, right. you know, strikes against you. Hmm. Or just as maybe usage, you know, like a legitimate, a person actually making a phone call might make well, one call a week, one call a day, three calls a day, but not 7,000 calls you know, every hour. A minute. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's a different thing. And I love the, the, the ability to be able to opt out of any <laughs> phone, you know, anybody that's calling from a number that's 
makes more than 10 calls per day. Although uh, maybe not, well, maybe not. Maybe that's a little and, bit. And then there's, you know, if the caller ID says it's a local number, you know, something from Washington, yet it originates in China, that might be a problem. Yeah. It's probably a problem. It might be Leo is traveling in China and calling home, but, you know, odds are no. Right. Well, that's another thing, though, is, is how, how much longer are area codes really going to be, um, you know, a thing? I mean, they're well, they already, kind of already uh, aren't, right? Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. Especially given the, the way numbers can get ported. But the problem is that they still have this, this legacy of, of meaning something where they really don't. And it's not a technology change that has to happen. It's just people's mindset. Your very code doesn't really mean what you think it means anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of people I know with mobile phone numbers from areas that they haven't lived in or even visited for years. Right. Um, it's interesting. There's another le very legitimate scenario that I'm, I'm wondering how will get played out here. That is when you use Skype to call a landline, which I do from time to time, you can have it present as your cellular number. In other words, the caller ID when you make a phone call using Skype will be I a number you I do that. Yeah. And that sounds like it'd be a strike against me, right? It might. Yeah. But yeah, you're probably not making 7,000 phone yeah. calls a minute. Sure, but just like spam, right? It's not like there, there are, there may be one or two big red flags, you know, those, don't use these words in your spam email. Um, you know, distribute your, lo your call load across multiple lines or something like that. So there, are, but there are certainly going to be a lot of factors that, that <laughs> factor into this. And uh, again, this is just one of those things that, that might make my call look a little bit more like a spam call than another. Of course, they'll probably solve all of this just in time for people to stop using phone numbers altogether, you know, because I know kids are not, you know, they're using FaceTime and Skype and all these other things and right. skipping the traditional phone system with the numbers completely. So who knows how much longer this old phone system really has anyway. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we beat that one to death. What's next? <laughs> it's our job. Beat things to <laughs> death. We take tech topics and beat them to death. Enthusiastically. Enthusiastically beat them to death. <laughs> so, Randy, you also had something to be enthusiastic about that's not necessarily phone related. I know. I've got a lot of things on the, uh, on the yeah, sheet today. That's okay. Um, the a mission to Mercury, uh, two spacecraft just launched on a seven-year voyage to the planet Mercury to try to figure out why is this thing apparently have a little bit of atmosphere, but not very much because it's really close to the sun and it's really tiny. And I think the most interesting thing about that, um, and it's called uh, Giuseppe, Col no, Beppe Colombo, uh, named after Giuseppe Colombo, who is the guy that figured out how to do the planetary flybys to um, save fuel, which is really interesting. Um, and the thing that blows me away about this is, you know, Mercury's right by the sun. You've got this giant sun with a lot of gravity pulling things in. Why does it take seven years and a whole bunch of planetary flybys to get to Mercury? And the answer is because the sun is so big, they need these planetary flybys not to speed it up, but to slow it down. And that's oh, just mind-boggling to me. 
Because if they don't, it'll just go zooming right by Mercury. Oh, yeah. Speed's relative. Slowing down is just as hard, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so they, by, by using the planetary flybys to slow it down instead of fuel, it saves all the fuel that's on board for flying around Mercury and doing the orbits and, and uh, doing their, their science there. Really so neat. is this one where they're planning on actually getting it into Mercury orbit for a while? Yes. Cool. So they're going to be at least a year in orbit. Uh, their prime mission is is a minimum of one year, and they have a possibility of, you know, if everything's going well, of extending it for a second year. And there's two different spacecraft. They were both launched on the same Ariane rocket, and uh, they're going to be working in tandem to, to do things uh, in orbit around Mercury. They did have a probe that was going to land on Mercury, but... They killed that for budgetary reasons. Ugh. All told, this thing still costs $1.9 billion or, you know, one uh, Mega Millions lotto ticket. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, they, they, they canceled that part. But sure enough, they, it's, it's the first mission to, uh, to Mercury after Messenger, which was quite a while ago. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. Can't wait to see the data from that. So yeah. seven years. And, and part of what they think is that in the polar um, caps of Mercury, especially in craters, there might be water or ice. So they're going to be looking specifically for that. And that would be kind of neat that, you know, that close to the sun, does ice really survive? And does mm. that mean there's water there? Uh, they, the planet's, you know, tugged on a lot by the sun's gravity. So most of the planet is actually liquid. It's, you know, metal that's been melted uh, and that, they're going to look at that, and there's a lot of interesting things I'm sure they're going to find out. You ice, you got liquid metal. It sounds like a, a fancy drink at some New York bar or something. So one a little cooler with a glass of ice, <laughs> liquid metal. Don't worry, never mind. Just saying, it sounds like tasty with vodka. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but you have to go such a long ways to get it. <laughs> well, well, as a matter of fact, I have a little glass of vodka right here. Oh, there you go. No, I did not take the time to prepare for this this show properly. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, why well, I screwed up the intro. I didn't have enough alcohol on board. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Leo, let's break the Randy run. What do you have? So I ran across this one, um, gosh, yesterday or, or maybe earlier today. Um, it's basically an article that they're using Elon Musk as its clickbait. Um, it's basically, could Elon Musk tweet for all of eternity? Digital avatar technology could make it happen. Um, it's what it is. It's literally what it sounds like. It's, it's the, the rise of this ability to create avatars that take on the personalities of individuals. And essentially, I don't want to say think, because that's a bit much when you're even talking about an AI, but to react and to interact in a way that is consistent with how the real person would have. So that when the real person, be it Elon Musk or, or me or you or any of you, uh, pass away, this avatar would remain and could basically impersonate them for apparently all eternity. Uh, I just find that fascinating. <laughs> Did I hear somebody well, tweeting in the background? As, as a Tesla stockholder, I'm just hoping that he just stops tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's why I say it's it's the clickbait part of the headline because, of course, he's one of, um, I'll just say, a couple of people who are notorious for uh, rabble-rousing or, or having, I'll just call it interesting Twitter streams. And uh, so that's how you get the attention. But on one hand, yes, it's interesting to think of someone like Elon tweeting forever. On the other hand, it's interesting to think about other ways that this technology could be used. For example, uh, one of the, the items they listed in the article is asking Elon for business advice or asking Elon for ideas about certain things that the avatar would be sufficiently advanced enough to be able to respond in a way that he actually would, which, like I said, I just find that fascinating and an interesting, an interesting thing for the future. It plays out in less or more nefarious ways while that person is still alive in that uh, we've seen videos that have perfectly mimicked other people. So we've seen, I think there's a very popular video um, of a comedian whose name um, uh, uh, escapes me right now, actually speaking and having it drive a video of uh, Barack Obama. So Barack Obama is saying all these things he never said. Well, take the person away, replace it with an avatar that is supposedly either tweaked to represent or to truly be Barack Obama or to be somebody's you know, version of Barack Obama with an agenda. And that was that Jordan Peele that did and that. That's, that thank you, yes. Um, and then using that to fake potentially you know, an online conversation, a Reddit AMA. I mean, any number of interactive scenarios where you actually honestly no longer can trust that you're speaking to who you think you're speaking to. It's fa Like I said, it's, I, I keep coming back to the word fascinating. It's also somewhat scary as to how this technology could be, uh, could be used. Certainly having Elon Musk tweet forever is scary, but I think that there are scarier, scarier approaches as well. Yeah, I mean, if you like the idea of Elon Musk tweeting forever, do you also like the idea of Donald Trump tweeting forever? So, you know, it can be used for good or maybe not so good. Yep. Yep. It goes both ways. Um, so, like I said, I just, it's, it, but it is an interesting sign of, of where technology is headed. And that's the part that I, I find, like I said, again, fascinating. I do like the idea of having chatbots, you know, uh, filled with all the data we have about people like, say, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Edison or people like that, just all the data, everything we know about them, put into kind of an AI, made into a chatbot, and then you could ask Benjamin Franklin for advice or something like that um, and uh, and actually get a kind of response that was appropriate to, you know, something that, we think Franklin or somebody else may have said it could be a better way than, than say base, basically saying, well, oh, I wonder what Benjamin Franklin would think of this startup idea. Well, let's do lots of research, read a couple of biographies and talk to a couple of historians to kind of come up with an idea. Um, instead, you simply ask this, this chatbot AI and the chatbot AI is basically doing all of that to come up with a response. Well, it's pretty much what data did on Star Trek to, uh, recreate Stephen Hawking. They, uh, you know, recreated him in the, right. in the holodeck. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't 
just Stephen Hawking. I think they actually played around with various um, Sherlock Holmes, and, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Einstein, um, Da Vinci, a few others. But yeah, yeah, the Sherlock Holmes episodes are always the boringest ones. <laughs> yeah, they weren't very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that certainly took a turn. Well, I go, I go <laughs> look. I go to Star Trek because I want space and space exploration. And then when they spend the entire episode doing some stupid Sherlock Holmes mystery that that I would, I would be turning to PBS if I wanted that sort of thing. They do that because it's cheaper to produce. Well, which is a bad reason. Boo to that. Yeah. That's what I say. (laughs) Um, I also say boo to uh, vulnerabilities and uh, saw a story last week that a couple of popular media players uh, contain critical vulnerabilities. So they should be updated. Those are VLC Media Player and uh, M Player. I, I believe I saw. Um, don't listen to anything I say. Uh, I believe I saw another, a different article that I can't find right now that said that some of these these bugs, these vulnerabilities, had been in there for more than three years. In the Wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, and, my my understanding is that it's a uh, some kind of a common library that both of these these players mm-hmm. happen to use, mm-hmm. which to me implies that there in fact may be other less popular uh, players that are similarly impacted. Sure. Well, the funny thing is we brought up VLC last week um, when we were talking about um, Winamp coming back. Mm-hmm. There's a new version that's out now of uh, Winamp. Just an update to make it more compatible with Windows 8 and 10 but they're doing a full rewrite and re-release in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, and Leo, you said you liked VLC. What, what do we need Winamp for? Well, maybe because it doesn't use these code libraries. Yeah. Well, sure. It uses maybe. other ones that have other vulnerabilities. That's right. quite right. <laughs> it's uh, funny because yeah, I so actually Winamp, had, I'm sorry, go ahead. I had somebody ask me, gosh, just yesterday, the day before, um, you know, why did they take DVD playing out of Windows 10? And the answer, of course, was um, licensing. And actually, the the codecs for DVDs in Windows 10 ended up costing Microsoft a certain amount per seat, regardless of whether or not you actually used it. So they actually pulled it. But the uh, the alternative, VLC. So that person ended up using VLC, being very happy with VLC, and apparently now he has a vulnerability on his machine. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I... Uh... You mentioned Winamp. Um, yeah, the thing, like something like three or four years ago, a company bought Winamp and, and all the people who loved Winamp were, were all worried. And they're like, no, no, we promised to keep developing it. And, and then crickets, you know, for three years. And so the fact they're that- They're finally doing it. They finally did it. So, but uh, tangential to that is uh, archive.org, uh, the Internet Archive, which is a, a nonprofit uh, online library, um, recently added- a JavaScript version of Winamp. So, I mean, there are millions and millions and millions of MP3s and podcasts and sermons and just all sorts of stuff available on archive.org that you've been able to listen to forever. But they added an optional interface where if you click the llama icon, you can uh, play it in Winamp and it works exactly like the the, uh, application-based version. But they also have uh, a skins collection of more than 5,500 Winamp skins. Um, that, I can't believe there are that many. Yes, uh, this probably isn't even all of them. But you know, they got them off of, of uh, you know, FTP sites and CD-ROMs, and they just scoured everything to get all the Winamp skins. So when you upgrade to your new version of, of Winamp, 
you can go to uh, uh, archive.org uh, slash details slash Winamp skins and download uh, all the skins you want. If you want your skin to look like, you know, a, a Macintosh running system six or, or a Star Trek panel or Star Trek panels are all sorts of crazy uh, and very useful and very just not really reasonable skins to choose from. Well, and I still run Winamp because I'm still on Windows 7. Mm-hmm. So it, it still works just fine. Cool. Well, that shut everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. So any other pressing topics we should talk about this week? or I, I think we're at about an hour. Yeah. Oh, we're right there, what, yeah. What are we up to this week? I uh, Myself, I'm just plugging away more on that uh, – on my new WordPress project and, uh, and all of that. So how about you guys? Well, I've got a, uh, I, so the, I have a, uh, a mailing list subscription called the best of ask Leo. And uh, the, what it is, is, you know, over the last 15 years, I have written a lot of articles. Some of them are better than others. And I've collected some of the best ones into this thing. It's what's called an autoresponder right now, which means if you uh, if you sign up today, uh, you will get without me doing a thing, seven years uh, worth of email from me. Uh, you know, so you get a, you get a message once a week for the next seven years. Oh, it's a site meant one very long email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once a week or once a day. Yeah, this one best of Ask Leo is once a week every okay. Monday. And uh, what I've decided to do is if that actually turns out with that massive number of articles, turns out to be a bit of a maintenance headache if I want to keep things fresh, if I want to keep things up to date, um, and if I want to weed out some of the things that quite honestly are no longer best. So the project we're, uh, we're working on this week is to basically change what's going on under the hood to make the best of Ask Leo happen. And it, uh, it should result in the, uh, the better best of ask leo uh, the bestest the bestest um the most best no wait a minute you're the most guy can't do that yeah. um so, you know hopefully uh, kicking off next week sometime for the uh, the folks that are subscribed to it right now i'll probably have some more details on my site about that just so that i feel a little bit more comfortable promoting the heck out of uh, out of best of ask leo because it actually is a pretty pretty cool setup evan I decided I miss programming. Um, I I have programmed many languages over the years. I mean, I started with basic and I learned C and then was forced to learn Pascal in college. And then I learned Moo code and then I learned PHP. Um, And I used to make websites out of PHP and, and it's just been a year since I've done it. And I think when I learned PHP, it was PHP three. And then I sort of was there for the change over to four. And now they're, I don't know. I just miss programming. And uh, so I'm just like, well, I could pick up PHP again, but I've forgotten everything I knew. And now they're up to PHP six. So I decided to go with the other seven. Uh, are they? Oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just while we're talking, they've gone. And there it's eight. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I decided uh, to learn uh, Python. So I, huh? I got a couple of uh, digital books and uh, am just learning Python. And, uh, so what's your approach, Kevin? I'm kind of curious. Are you, do you have a project in mind that you intend to implement in Python or, or are you just sort of playing around? Or uh, right now I'm playing around. I mean, like my, my level right now is, is pick a number from one to 10. Your number's too high, your number's too low. And, and 
I haven't figured out looping enough to ask a second time. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a very short game. Um, I mean, ultimately, though, I, I would like to be able to, you know, create a, a game if I was so inclined, or I mean, it, it, with with graphics, or or do stuff. I probably think it'll end up being things for my business, the thing, things for for websites. You know, uh, create PDFs on the fly, or um, I don't know. I don't know yet, but I can't do any of it with my current level of uh, programming ability. So I need to get up to speed. I have found that just going through this book, it's, I may be only a quarter way through the book, but it's go, it's very fast. Cause I mean, I know how to program, right. You know, I program in many languages. It's just that I just need to learn the, the syntax of Python. It's all about the syntax. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. that's, that's what I'm uh, going to keep working on this week. Cool. Well, cool. Randy. Um, I'm still working on my new B2B site. I'm not ready to announce what that is yet, um, but it involves uh, the, several of the people uh, that we're talking with right now. And uh, it might even I'm, tangentially I'm, involve the best of Ask Leo. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, imagine that. Oh. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting project in, in my first B2B uh, site. So we'll. Uh, We'll look forward to it. All righty. Cool. All right. So are we done? I think, I think we're, we're done. done. Yeah. Well, a quick note that if you don't use a podcast app that automatically downloads these episodes for you, you can get an email notification every time a new episode drops so you can listen to it from its show page. There's a subscription form in the sidebar of every page on tehpodcast.com. And the show notes for this week, are at tehpodcast.com slash teh46. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.